tonight we're going to be in Titus chapter number two. If you'll take your Bibles and stand, Titus in chapter two, we're going to work a little bit more on our theme, uh, teach them, and uh, just thinking about some key passages of scripture that have to do with that. And so we'll uh, look at that here in just a few moments as we get into Titus chapter two. We might start in chapter one. That probably is going to help us a little bit. As we get into it, we're a little bit in between series here on Wednesday nights, and so good opportunity to uh, do some work on the theme and help to get it set and ready, and we'll do a little bit more even on Sunday. We're in between series on uh, Sunday morning, and we're taking a little bit of pause on Sunday night, so we're just, we're out of everything and into the Word. Is that all right? So uh, we're just kind of in, in that uh, unique spot there. So Titus chapter number one, let's just look at it a little bit together. I think that'll help us as we get into it. <clears throat> Titus in chapter one, Paul in verse one, a servant of God and an apostle uh, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And then he gives really the intent of the letters. You see in verse number five, as Titus is there on the island of Crete and providing pastoral leadership. And so you see in verse five, what he left him to do, it says, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. And notice this, this certainly fits our effort next week in terms of church planning and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. You see, God wants a, every city to have a Bible preaching church Amen. and more if need be in terms of the population. So uh, but he says, elders in every city, God has an every city mentality. Okay, so then in verses six and uh, really through the end of the chapter, he's talking about the role of a pastor and, and uh, if any be blameless, uh, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. So then he explains more about that. Look at verse nine, if you would. We'll just uh, look through a few of these for the sake of time. Holding fast the faithful word, notice this, as he has been what? Taught. Okay, so holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And then he describes them. Verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. Notice this, teaching things which they ought not. You know, it doesn't appear to me that Paul had much of an ecumenical mindset. Do you? Does it to you? I mean, he wasn't broad-minded saying, yeah, it doesn't matter what people are teaching. No, he was very alarmed by what was being taught because they were subverting whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Look at the last part of the verse in verse 11. And here's the reason they were doing that for filthy lucre's sake, for money, for gain, for prosperity. He describes the culture in verse 12 and verse 13. He says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, 
not giving heed to foolish, or sorry, to uh, Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. And then uh, verse 15, under the pure, all things are pure. Under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Verse 16, you still follow along so far? Verse 16, they profess that they know God. They profess that they know God, but in works they what? Deny him. Okay, so they, they say one thing and yet they live another way. That's what he's saying. They profess that they know God, but in works, it's off. They deny him. And then he goes on to describe. So verse, verse one of chapter two, okay? I'm just trying to hit a little bit of the high points. He says, but speak thou. So Titus, don't follow that pattern of ministry, but rather do this. Speak thou the things which become or that are fitting sound doctrine. And then he, he gives the reasons as to why. And, and really the goal, okay, look at it, verse two. That the aged men be, what? Sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. And he describes them that they may teach. Everybody see that, verse four? That they may teach the young women. Uh, in fact, uh, Lyft this year is going to be uh, teachers of good things right out of Titus 2. Uh, so um, anyways, uh, he says here, the aged women are to teach the young women. Again, look at verse 4, to be sober, to love their husbands. Doesn't say you have to like them, you got to love them. <laughs> Same thing about your kids, love them. <laughs> um, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Notice this, that the word of God be not blasphemed. See, it's bigger than us, right? See. All right, verse six, young men likewise exhort to be what? Sober-minded, there it is again. I mean, it's showing up over and over here. Be sober um, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. Verse nine, exhort servants. Okay, so then he goes to those that have a master and certainly this would apply if you work a job, but nonetheless, he says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things and not answering again, not, not talking back, but uh, doing what you're told, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. That, notice this, that they may adorn. Everybody see that? Adorn the doctrine of God. Adorn, make it look good. Hey, somebody at work ought to say, uh, there's something different about their life that is desirable. You're adorning the doctrine of God. Notice this, our what? Savior. Okay, here's our text, verse 11. Okay, so he says that they may adorn the doctrine of our God, uh, of God, our Savior in all things. Verse 11, he gives the reason, the basis for why they ought to live. Like he's been describing in verses 1 through 10 that, and back into chapter 1, he says, for, here's why, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to some men. Just checking to make sure you're still following along. Hath appeared to who? All men. All men. 
Okay, notice verse 12. This is really what we're going to focus on. The grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared to all men doing what? Teaching us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking. In fact, verse 11 through 15 is all one verse. Looking, all one sentence, I'm sorry. All one sentence. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> great God, Savior, same one. The reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. Who's coming? Jesus is. Who's God? Jesus is. It's right there. Okay, look at verse number 14. Who gave himself, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and so that he might redeem us and purify unto himself a peculiar people, special people. Zealous, zealous of good works, these things. Speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. All right now, Paul said that to Titus, but I'm going to take it personally as well. Okay, so I'm going to speak and teach and rebuke and because God's already done that in my life with this, this chapter here. Okay, I hope it'll be a great help to you. I'm calling the message tonight. This is sermon number three already. Here we are just barely into the new year. We got three sermons going on on uh, our theme, Teach Them. So this is sermon number three, enrolled in the school of grace. We are enrolled. If you're saved tonight, you are enrolled. You are enrolled in the school of grace. Enrolled in the school of grace. May God bless the reading of his word. I'll let you be seated. I hope you'll give good and special attention to this. As always, really, anytime the word's preached. <clears throat> You remember your first teacher? Maybe it was kindergarten. Maybe it was your mom. <laughs> your first teacher or teachers. I uh, had a unique opportunity um, while back in Kentucky. I just had a little bit of time alone. I like to do that, just kind of getting set for the new year. And there's a few things that I normally do. This was a little bit out of the norm. And I went to three of the four schools that I attended while growing up. So I went to where I went to kindergarten, first grade, and uh, it was a Christian school actually. And then we, I went to a public school and, and so I went to Warren Elementary. And so I drove there and uh, my soul, it sure seemed bigger when you're a kid. You know what I mean? Uh, but I just took some time. Of course, I'm thinking about our theme, you know, teach them. And so... But I thought about my teachers. I thought about kindergarten and Miss Cowan and Miss Fuller and kind of a split year. And, and, um, and then I thought about Miss Burgess and, and Miss Perkins and Miss Shoemake and Miss Beckner. I love Miss Beckner. She was really a good teacher. I just really enjoyed fifth grade with Miss Beckner. And then Miss Haynes. And I uh, remember the last public school paddling that I received in sixth grade. Vivid memories. I'm reminded of it quite often because Miss Haynes also goes to our home church at Grace Baptist Church in Bowling Green, and I can't hardly look at her without remembering. 
I had it coming to me. I guarantee you. They used to paddle in the public school. We might need, anyways, we... I went around and I parked at my old high school where I used to park and Angie would park her car here and then we'd walk in together. And I remember a lot of the teachers, Miss Parrish that taught Spanish and had uh, three years with her and Miss Abney, our, our English teacher and how she taught us actually the book of Job in public school. She was a believer and she worked that in as literature and really had an impact on us. I remember Mr. Ross. Mr. Ross taught anatomy and, and physiology, and he was just kind of that teacher that would just draw you in, had a lot of one-liners and sayings. He'd have a handwritten, um, a handwritten quiz at times that we all took, you know, made a photocopy of it, and he'd say things like this. If you can't read my writing, make a copy and read your own. <laughs> Mr. Ross. But one thing that all these teachers had is they had a classroom and they had curriculum and they had students. They had a classroom, they had, uh, they had a curriculum and they had students. Sometimes they'd take us outside and we'd, we'd uh, have class outside. I always loved those days. You know. Well, in Titus chapter 2 here, it says that our teacher is none other than grace. Grace, uh, not a person, but the grace of God. I mean, really what Paul is doing is he's essentially personifying grace and saying um, that grace is our teacher. The grace of God that has appeared, that brings us salvation, has appeared to all men teaching us. So if you're saved tonight, then you are enrolled in the school of grace. Grace is your teacher. Life is your classroom. And God's grace uses the same curriculum, the same content for all students. There's not a gifted and talented section of God's classroom. There's not a special advanced group. There's, there's just students. By the way, I just read, uh, if you are a, a, a student of the Bible, no one is a scholar. Everyone is always a student. So we're all in this class together. The classroom is life and, and, the, and, and God is using his word and giving us grace. I, I want to tie into that. I, I think this is something that we really need to understand that, that grace is teaching us some things. There's a lot of misunderstanding today about grace. There's a lot of misunderstanding about grace, but grace, grace is teaching us. And, and like I said, there's, there's not like... Um, there's not like a special class for preachers and, and, a, and then another class for other people. No, he's talking that, he, that God's grace teaches us. So we're all to learn the exact same thing, same content. And the grace of God is teaching us. The grace of God is our teacher. Teaching involves patience. Teaching involves compassion. Teaching involves clarity. Teaching involves a gaining attention. Teaching requires homework. 
I know those of you that just got out of school today, last thing you want to do is come to church and hear more about school. Come on now, I, I know that. But teaching requires homework and discipline and tests and, and, and teaching requires repetition. I, I want to ask you tonight, uh, believer, are you a student of God's grace? Because God, through his grace, is wanting to teach us some things. So let's, let's look at this text here and, and really seek to understand it. It's very uniquely arranged in the sense that typically what Paul would do is he would give um, the theology or the doctrine up front and then he would make application. That's typical. Book of Romans. Um, Romans 1 through 11 essentially is the doctrine of salvation and what it means to be saved. Well, chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you what? Therefore, based on that, then here's how you ought to live. Colossians, Colossians 1, Colossians 2, the doctrine of salvation. Colossians 3, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And so he makes application. Uh, the same is true of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 3, 2, and 3, the doctrine of salvation. Chapter 4, application. Chapter 5, application. Chapter 6. So that's, that's the typical pattern. Here it's reversed. And Paul does this. He gives how they ought to live. And in verse number 11, he's saying why you ought to live that way. And the reason that you ought to live that way is that the grace of God has saved you. Okay? So how should you live? That's what we, we read. I, I, I try to do my best in just reading the text and giving a little bit of insight about it. But I think you gathered from that that God intends everyone of you and all of us who are saved to live a holy and godly life. Sober, aged men, aged women, young men, young women, everybody's included. Both genders, male and female. I mean, this text will teach you all kinds of things. Male and female, old and young. No in between. Right? Aged and young. I mean, it, he's, he's teaching here that, listen, um, God has got instruction for every category of life. And I thank God that this is a living word so that when you come to it at a new season of life, the this, this situation that you face today, there's something in God's word that applies to it. Well, there's a lot in God's word that applies to it. And so the grace of God is going to be teaching you that. They, listen, the, the, Cretan, the Cretans here lived in a very ungodly culture. Well, I don't think we have to spend any time tonight to demonstrate that you and I also live in a very ungodly culture. I mean, all you got to do is just uh, maybe pick up a world magazine. That's what I typically would, would look at. It's like time, but from a Christian perspective and to look back over last year. And I just told Trevor last night, as I looked over some of the events of this, just this past year, I said, son, listen, you're growing up in a very ungodly culture and we're living in a very ungodly culture, but it's not like there never was a time since the fall of man that we haven't been living in an ungodly culture. Maybe it's more accessible. Maybe it's more prevalent. I, I get that. I totally do. But nonetheless, hey, you've not got an out on living a holy life because the culture that you live in. Neither did the people that, that were here, uh, the recipients of this letter and Titus as he's pastoring them and speaking to them. So sure, they lived in an ungodly culture and there was an ungodly teaching that was taking place. There were those that were teaching that, that uh, yes, we know God, but we can live this way if we want to. That's an abuse of grace. You didn't learn that from grace. 
I, I, it, my mind thinking today about, you know, my very first uh, school experience, as I mentioned to you, it was a, a Christian school, and, and, uh, but it's where I learned my very first cuss words. I'm not proud of that. I'm just simply saying I came in the classroom and just rattled one off and the teacher's eyes got real big. She said, where did you learn that? Out in the hallway. <laughs> hey, I'm just simply saying you could be in a Christian school and the world creeps in. Okay, so but there would be some that have a mentality. Hey, it doesn't really matter um, how you live. You, you've got... Christian liberty. Well, Christian liberty has become and has been, it's not anything new. Christian liberty has become really camouflage. I'm going to live for how the way I want to live. Okay. Well, you, you, didn't, you didn't learn that from Mr. or Mrs. Grace. Are you following what I'm saying? You didn't learn that from God. Okay, so all that was going on. In fact, they were allowing, hang on just a minute, they were allowing cultural culture rather than Christ who developed the curriculum. That's chapter one. The, and, and what some of those were doing is they were subverting houses and teaching things which they ought not. And they weren't sound in the faith. And they were saying that they knew God and yet they were living in an ungodly way. And so Paul is writing there and said, listen, hey, you tell the old aged men, rather, you tell the aged men to be sober, temperate, grave. You tell the aged women to behave themselves. You tell the aged women to have an impact on the younger women. You tell the younger women, don't get caught up in the society. Don't, don't look at all the magazines as you check out and say, I want to be like that. No, you get in the book and you say, I want to be a godly lady like it's in the book. And don't let the, the, uh, all, the, all the scenes that you'd scroll through to determine what kind of a Christian lady that you ought to be. Get in the Word of God and see what kind of Christian lady you ought to be and what kind of Christian young man that you ought to be. Hey, listen, don't put your finger up to the wind and say, well, I want to be like all the other people around me. No, get in the book, Paul said, and let the age teach the younger. And, and here's the reason why what's driving all this in one word is grace. God's good grace, that unmerited favor that has saved us. My soul, that ought to make a difference in the way that we go about our day-to-day -day lives. He says, this is how you ought to live at work. He deals as, as we did in the last two verses there with the, with the man that is under a master. And he says, you ought to live in a certain way because of the grace of God and adorn the grace of God, adorn the salvation of God. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Well, I, I love verse number 11. If you'd look at it, in fact, one man said that grace is a one word summary of God's saving act. Grace. God giving us what we didn't deserve. God, God's unmerited favor coming to us. But, but wait a minute now. According to this verse then, God's saving grace is also God's transforming grace. Isn't that what we hit on Sunday that once God saves you, that that's not, that's not the end, that's just the beginning. And, and that work of grace in your life that you could never have earned, but you had to hear the gospel and believe the gospel, repent, turn to God and trust him. And he saved you and the spirit of God moved in. Listen, he began right there a work of grace in your life. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now listen, let me clear up 
some things that it just seems like we keep hitting it. You're probably going to think, man, you're, you're trying to find verses to pick on Calvinism. No, it's just real easy to debunk it. This verse shows that it's not a universalism uh, where all men are automatically saved. No, somebody's got to hear the gospel to be saved. Okay. But it says right here that the grace of God that has appeared to all men. Okay, so a Calvinist is going to come along and say, well, what that means is that it, it's appeared to all of mankind. So I thought about that. Okay, who among mankind is not part of mankind? Am I thinking, am I thinking to surface or is that just pretty clear? That if, if it is, that his salvation has appeared to all mankind. Okay, who among mankind is not part of mankind? Well, it means that it's appeared to all the all the different types of people. Well, who among the people are a people? You get it? It just doesn't even make sense. No, friend, listen, just settle it once and all in your mind and don't let someone who poses as intellectual try to persuade you to think otherwise. No, when it says that the salvation that brings, I'm sorry, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, that it literally does mean that it's available to all men, all people, all time. He died for all, friend, and us all can be saved if they would be saved, if they'd hear the gospel. That's what he's saying. The grace of God that brings salvation have appeared to all men. And here's what we need to deal with tonight. Teaching them. Teaching us, rather. Teaching us. So grace is a teacher. Hey, can I, can I just pause right here to say this? God's grace is not just his saving grace to enable you to be saved. That's the only way you could be saved is by grace, not through works. Amen right there? But it's also this. God's grace is God's help in your life. God's help in your life to enable you to live the Christian life. I, I know that you know that, but don't we kind of get caught up in a performance-based acceptance with God that God loves me if I do right? No, God loves you, period. You're already accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in Christ, but he's going to give you the ability. In fact, even the desire, if you'll be open to it. But listen, teaching, teaching takes a student and a teacher. So I, I know tonight, I know tonight that grace didn't, didn't flake out on the job. It's not like the teacher didn't show up. Okay, what is it in, in, in college, you know, if the teacher's not there after 10 minutes and you can go? Hey, listen, it's not like grace didn't show up to teach you today. Does anybody listen to this? Grace showed up today. Now, you may have totally blown it. You may have failed the test. You may have, you may have uh, gotten distracted, but that doesn't mean God's grace is not teaching you. Okay? So God's grace here is his ability to help us. Grace is, here's what I wanted to say a minute ago, and then I got off on that. Grace, grace is this. Grace is powerful. God's grace is powerful. God's grace can enable you to get through any trial that you're going through. Okay, let me say it another way, just in case this will help a little bit more. God's help is sufficient to get you through. Grace and help are, are synonymous ideas there. God's grace is sufficient to help you in that temptation. God's grace is sufficient to help you get through that, that broken relationship. God's grace is, is available to you even when you fall. His grace is sufficient to help you get back up. In fact, grace teaches you to get up. 
And to go on. I love the song that the trio sang a moment ago that, that uh, just remember, he's forgotten. That's, that's even through a song, God's grace coming to you saying, hey, listen, I know who you are. I know what you did. But that doesn't mean that I'm through with you. I'm still working in your life. That's God's grace, friend. There's no other way to explain that, but God's good and all sufficient grace. And Paul right here says that God's grace is teaching us. It's teaching us. That means it's he is, his grace is providing instruction. His grace is, is working to perform the proper habits in our life. If there's a teacher, what is a teacher trying to do? A teacher's trying to help them to come along to maturity. So God's grace uh, is there to help us to come along to maturity. Now, I'm, I'm going to get into how he does that, how grace does that in verse 12 and, and uh, in 13 and 14. But, but here it's saying that, that God's grace teaches us, teaching us. Look at it again in verse number 12. Verse 11, uh, it says that it's appeared unto all men. It brings salvation. That's an adjective describing God's salvation or the grace. It's appeared. And here's the, here's the ING word. It's teaching us. Okay, here's a word. Educating us. Training us. In what? The skill of living. We don't know how to live apart from God showing us how. Is that right? No, all we knew how to do real well was sin or real bad is sin. That's what we knew how to do naturally. That's what came naturally to us. So evidently we need somebody to teach us then how to live a godly life. So God's grace is there to teach us to train us. Some of you are in the tra child training years. If you got children at home, you are. And you're trying to train them over and over. And I imagine there's one word you're using a whole lot. No. No, you can't do that. No, you can't. You can't. Don't say that. No, you can't go there. Stop hitting your brother. Things like that. <laughs> Teaching, training, educating. And in this context, it's how to live the Christian life. It's interesting, this word teaching is used about Moses and how that he was learned and all the wisdom of the Egyptians. It's used of Paul and how that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel and was taught. Okay, can you, can you picture that? Here's Gamaliel as a teacher and he's sitting down and Paul is sitting here and he's learning from Gamaliel all the things of the law. He's teaching him. So Paul is using that same exact word to say the grace of God is teaching us, training us, guiding us, leading us, encouraging us. In fact, okay, now, now hang on just a minute. Uh, the word also is used in another context. You ready? Chastening. The same word teaching us is found in Hebrews 12 and verse 6. I'm going to read it. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. All right? And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Okay, well, you say, what is, what is chastening? Chastening means this. Uh, it's just like what Miss Haynes said to me. Get out in the hallway and you're getting a paddling. I mean, that's what it is. It's chastening. It's correction. Now, no chastening seemeth to be joyous. Right? No, no, no. Nobody in the right mind says, man, hit me again. No, no, no. Nobody in the right mind is going to say that. But it's this word teaching also shows up as chastening. 
It shows up in verse 6 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 10. For, listen to this. For verily, after, for a few days, chasing us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Okay? Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It's the same word I teach. Uh, how many of you would agree sometimes pain is the best teacher? How many of you at least have thought twice about speeding since you got that speeding ticket? How many, at, right after you got pulled over, you drove the best you've ever driven in like years. Is, is that right? It's amazing. Yeah, and you think, man, I'm never going to do that again. There you go. Lights come back on, right? No, but, but for a moment, that pain is you're, you're thinking, I don't want to pay that. I, okay, I'm having another flashback from middle school years this time. I didn't go to Moss. I guess I had too many bad, bad memories there at middle school, but I, I didn't go to that school. But there I skipped school for the first time. Me and a buddy went fishing. And, and uh, anyways, it's a long story, but I, I got in trouble, got in school suspension. And I remember sitting across the desk from Mr. Burgess. His wife was my second grade teacher, and he's my principal in, the, in junior high. And I told Mr. Burgess, who gave me in school suspension, which meant that I had to sit up on the platform while everybody else was eating lunch and they're all watching you eat. Miserable. Anyways, it may not seem like a big deal to you, but right there in my mind, I just said, and I told him, I said, sir, I'm never going to get in any trouble ever again. Now that might've been a little dramatic and it might've been a little bit far-fetched, but I, he convinced me, you don't want to do this again, son. And I, I basically said, yes, sir. Hey, I'm just simply saying to you that pain of that lesson taught me something. Okay, so let's back up and see. God is saying here, listen, here's how I want you to live soberly. How many of you agree tonight? There needs to be some clear thinking Christians in this world. People that aren't just living their own way and all out of their minds like the world is. No, you need to be sober minded. And, and so he says, here's how you need to be living for the grace of God which bringing salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, chasing us, correcting us. It's the same word. You say, well, I thought gracious meant you're gracious with everybody. No, according to this verse, grace will correct you and say things like this. You shouldn't have said that to your wife like that. You shouldn't have said that to your husband. You shouldn't have rebelled against your parents like that. You shouldn't have had that attitude. You shouldn't have treated, you should not have treated that employee like that. You should not have treated that customer like that. I'm telling you, friend, listen, grace, the grace of God will correct you, train you, teach you, help you if you'll be a good student. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us, and here, here it is. Here, here it is. There's two parts to it. Denying. Denying. And then the next part, as you see in verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we'll get to that, we should live. So denying, we should live. Denying, we should live. Hey, can I say to you tonight, you can't live soberly, righteously, godly if you don't deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It just won't work. The grace of God will teach you that you need to say no. Okay, the word deny. The word deny means this, renounce or forsake. Renounce and forsake ungodliness and worldly lust. Renounce and forsake. Okay, hang, hang on. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Be done with it. That's it. Be done with it. Renounce, forsake, the grace of God will teach you to renounce and forsake ungodliness. 
Another definition, say no to oneself in order to live completely for Christ. Pay no attention to your own desires. That's the idea of this word deny. I'm, I'm trying to tell you tonight, this word deny that teacher Grace tells us about is a very strong term, which gives this idea. Don't try to negotiate with it. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to rationalize. We, we get in trouble when you start negotiating with ungodliness and worldly lust. When you start downplaying, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. Or nobody will know. My parents don't know. My leaders don't know. My, my family doesn't know. Hey, hey, everybody's doing this. It's not like it's a big deal today. Everybody deserves a little pleasure every now and then. Okay, look at verse 12. The great, you didn't learn that from the grace of God. You learned that out there in the hallway with worldly people. Hello? The grace of God will teach you to deny ungodliness, wickedness, wickedness. Uh, the word literally means this, a lack of reverence and respect for God. The grace of God will teach you to respect God. Hey, hang on. You know, I, I thought about it this way. Lost people, all they know is this because they don't have a teacher. They haven't experienced the grace of God. So all they know really ultimately is ungodliness and worldly thinking. It's their way. And they're resisting the other three that we're about to look at here briefly. But here this word ungodliness means this, a lack of reverence. Would you agree today that the vast majority of entertainment that's out there is lacking reverence for God? How about today's top hits? Music. Country, rap, rock, pop, whatever it is, lacks of respect and reverence for God. So if as a believer, let me reason with you here just a minute, you are listening to that garbage, you're not paying attention to the teacher. If you're scrolling through TikTok or or Instagram or, or whatever else other platform you may be, Facebook for that matter, and you're looking at a bunch of ungodliness, you're not listening to the teacher. You got some kind of ungodly friendship, ungodly relationship going on, um, and maybe nobody else knows about it, but you and God, you know about it, and God knows about it. You're not listening to the teacher. Did you ever get distracted in school? Somebody else is talking to you. And the thing you can't do here, you can't blame it on them because you're responsible. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, yeah, but he was talking. It doesn't matter if you're talking. Every one of us got in trouble because of what they did. Right? No, but ultimately we all got in trouble because of what we did. So God is trying to teach you some things here. But the first step in learning is this. You've got to deny, say no to all the ungodliness in the world. 
okay? The ungodliness deny that. The grace of God will teach you, teaching us, he's teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly. You know, that's almost mocked and ridiculed even in today's Christian circles. Oh man, he's going to get on worldliness now. Well, yeah, because this, this is what the grace of God teaches us to deny. This is what the grace of God teaches us to renounce. Yeah, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, here, here's what the definition means, having the character of this present corrupt age that's hostile to God. The character of this corrupt age that is hostile to God. So the grace of God teaches you not to listen to those worldly lusts longings, desires. I mean, we think about lust, we think about sexual lust, and certainly that applies here, but it's also this, just the worldly way of living. A worldly way of thinking. I mean, how many verses deal with the lust of their hearts and the lust thereof, the, uh, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13. Listen to these verses here just a second. Uh, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the what? The lust thereof, the desires. The grace of God will tell you, listen, don't fulfill those worldly desires that are against God. You put off the old man that is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Dearly beloved. In fact, Peter really captures the essence of what uh, I think... Paul is getting across here even to Titus. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. It wars against your soul. We just came through 1 John, and, and in 1 John it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Hey, listen, I'm just simply saying to you, the desires that you and I have has a correspondence to what's out there in the world, and it's against God's will for your life, and the grace of God is trying to teach you. Listen, you've got to be done with that. So that then you can give attention to what he wants you to give attention to. Soberness and to, to live soberly, righteously, and godly. The word soberly, as we've seen quite a bit, is just simply meaning this. According to good sense. Well, you know, when I'm under the influence of worldly thinking, whether it is a desire for worldly gain or to have a worldly style, can, can I say to you tonight that the grace of God will teach you not to dress like the world. The grace of God won't teach you to dress immodestly. The grace of God won't teach you to, to dress in a worldly fashion. The grace of God will, will not teach you to, to engage in worldly entertainment. The grace of God will not teach you to open your minds to worldly music that is anti-God's will, will in your life. You didn't get that from God's will. You didn't get that from God's grace. But, but listen, in the latter part of verse 12, it's not enough that you stop sinful living, which, oh, mercy, may the Lord help me right here. This, I, I want to make sure you're getting this, that, that listen, you've got to have God's grace or help to stop. The grace of God teaches us. Do you see that? In fact, there's a book that, that is one of the best books in my estimation about overcoming the battle of lust and it's called Finally Free. But I love the subtitle and I don't love the subtitle just because I love subtitles. It's a good subtitle. Here it is. Here, here it is. It's this, fighting for purity in the power of grace. Because God, 
God will enable you to overcome that. In fact, listen, friend, you can't overcome it in your own power. But the grace of God can help you to overcome it. So, but it's not enough for you to stop living a sinful way of life. You've got to be in pursuit of the kind of life that God wants you to live. Look at verse 12 again, if you would, please. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. So that, that's the first lesson, right? Can I, can I pause there to ask this before we move on? How are you doing on that test? Boy, it's quiet in here tonight. I hope it's because you're thinking. How are you doing on that test about denying ungodliness and worldly lusts? Um, if, he's, if the grace of God is teaching, it may be you need to move closer so you can hear the teaching. Or get around, get a, hang on, I'm just trying to think about some application right here before we move on. If you're around some individuals that aren't really helping you to learn the grace of God right there, then you need to get a good group of friends that will. How are you doing on that test? That assignment, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, the grace of God teaching, that then with God's grace and God's help, we should live soberly according to good sense. And here's the word, self-control. Soberly. That has to do with how you live individually. Look at the next word, righteously. That has to do with how you live with others and your testimony before others. Righteously, are you, are you doing what's right? The grace of God will train you, teach you to do what's right. He, he will, the grace of God will teach you to, to do what is clear thinking, sober, self-controlled thinking. The grace of God will teach you to be godly, whereas you had been self-centered. Uh, godly has the idea of Godward, living to please God rather than to please self. There it is. So the grace of God will teach us to live in a way that pleases God. Notice this, in this present world. Okay? God doesn't have a certain way for us to live in the 21st century that's different than the way he had believers to live in the first century. It's the same. Oh yeah, the application of it is gonna be uh, different because the circumstances are differently, they're different, but there still is a call today for sober living, righteous living, godly living that applies today in this present world. And then verse 13, he's saying, looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we ought to live godly in this present world because he's coming again. And he died to make us holy. That's what verse 14 is saying. He's made us a peculiar people. That's the whole reason he came to set us free, came to redeem us, that he might pre, uh, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, zealous, desiring 
longing for, wanting to be, of good works, doing what's right. Hey, where does that come from? All the way back up in verse number 11, the grace of God that teaches you to be zealous of good works. Warren Wiersbe said this, Christians live in this present time, but they don't live like it and they don't live for it. Christians live in this present time, but they should not live like it and they should not live for it. Like what and for what? Well, like the ungodliness that we see on every hand and the worldly thinking that we see on every hand. In this present world, in this present age or era of time, we cannot, church, we cannot live the way that this age is teaching us to live. I'm uh, reading through, actually I'm reading through uh, Brother Dave Hardy's uh, dissertation, his thesis at, um, as he graduated. But uh, man, it's a, it's a fascinating study. It's on the history of the Baptist Bible Fellowship International. And there's just the account behind that. And I had read this before in another, in another location. But, but listen to this. This is um, the very first president of Baptist Bible College was G.B. Vick. And um, he passed away in September of 1975. He preached this message at the 25th anniversary. So the school started in 1950. He preaches this message in May of 1975, 25 years of their history. He'd been the president the whole time. And he preached on this, the heritage, the harvest, the hindrances, the help, and the horizon. Those were his points. Under the area of the hindrances, he talked about the danger that BBC at that time, and I would say really any Bible college, and I'd say any church and any family and any Christian faces today. And that would be a danger of losing our distinctiveness in terms of ecclesiastical or church separation and personal holiness. So here's was part of his charge. He said, about the only law of physics that I can remember is the definition of energy. Energy. He said... Um, Energy or power. Power is the measure of difference. The measure of difference. And that applies just as much to the spiritual as it does to the physical. He said, we don't win the world by trying to dress like it and talk like it and act like it. I think, he goes on, I think some of our young pastors and some of our youth leaders could take special note. 1975, he's saying to some of our young pastors and some of our youth leaders, you ought to take special note. And then he said this, in case you're wondering what he's talking about, you don't have to look like a hippie to reach hippies. Now this is 1975. You don't have to reach, look like a hippie to reach hippies. You don't have to look like a child of the devil in order to reach children of the devil. I say our spiritual power is largely dependent on the measure of difference that we have from them, not our likeness to them. 
You know essentially what he was saying in 1975? Is that the grace of God has taught us that we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and that we're to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And any entity, including Southwest Baptist Church, that ever loses sight of that will begin to look more and more like the culture in which it lives. And if we begin to look more and more like the culture in which we live, just as Paul was concerned about Titus and the people then looking more and more like a Christian culture than a Christ-like culture, then we lose our influence and we lose our impact. The grace of God will help us to live a godly life, listen, in a very ungodly time. Are you enrolled in the school of grace? I wonder tonight, if you're saved, I wonder if you've been skipping class. Have you been skipping class? Have you been going out in the world rather than being where you ought to be and learning? Are you following what I'm saying? Don't allow the repetition. Hey, listen, repetition is necessary for teaching. Sometimes the grace of God has to teach you the same lesson over and over until you get it. Thank God that he's patient with us. Get with somebody else. If you're having a hard time in class, what should you do? Uh, at Baptist Bible College, I used to be a tutor and what I would do is I'd get with students to try to help them to learn. Have study groups. I'd go and meet with the professor and I'd ask him, hey, what can I do to help the students be ready for the test? And I'd go then and have a study group and, and try to help them to get ready for the test. And all they really wanted was the study sheets. So I had to cut that out. <laughs> Say, make your own. Um, what I'm saying is this. Hey, if you're struggling in the Christian life, get around another Christian who's living the Christian life and learn from them. It may be your parents. It may be your brother or sister. It may be a, a, a fellow member here at the church, but get around somebody like, hey, God's given you a study group right here. And get ready for the tests of life because I'm telling you, friend, listen, they're coming. It's already here. And uh, I've learned this in school as well. If I'm really struggling, I need to spend some extra time in the book. I'm simply saying to you here tonight, friend, listen, this world is no friend to you as a believer. We're to be a friend to the world, but you can't be a friend with, but you can be a friend to. But you better get in this book and study real well and be ready. And the grace of God is sufficient to help you. If you failed today, you flunked. Or you failed last week or the week before that. Don't drop out. Don't drop out of class. Don't drop out of church. Of all things, at all times, you need to be in. And let the grace of, God, grace of God teach you and reteach you what it means to deny and to live according to his will. Let's stand together here tonight. Father, I thank you that you're our teacher and your grace teaches us, dear Lord. Not only instructs us, chastens us, corrects us. But I thank you, dear God, that you also enable us. 
Lord, we do live in a very ungodly time. And uh, the worldly lusts are all about us. In fact, we deal with their own. And I just pray tonight that, Lord, you would get the attention of each and every one of us as you teach us. And help us, Lord, to be good learners. We know that you give grace to the humble, but you, res you resist the proud. Help us not to be proud and self-sufficient or self-reliant or obstinate. But God, help us to be very teachable. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen.